So, um, welcome back, Impact City Church. Everyone doing good today? Yes, thank you. I'd love to know that you guys are awake. You guys are awake and willing to do something. Awesome. If you would, open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 10. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, they're on the edge of the rows. Just tell your kids, hey, throw me a Bible. They probably will throw it to you. It's okay. Um, if you don't want to do that, uh, some of the scriptures will be up on the screen. Uh, but majority of the time, you can just go to your Facebook page. Uh, log into Facebook, go to impactcitychurch.com on the Facebook page. And those are scriptures already lined out there. And they just posted about maybe 10 minutes ago. And um, you can look online there. While you're there, you can go ahead and check into the Facebook page as well. So uh, while you guys are turning there, let me just say this. We're, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark has taken us to some pretty amazing places over the last few weeks. If you guys remember, just throughout the Gospel of Mark, you know, we're in chapter 10 now, but from 1 through 10, some amazing things have happened. Uh, we've seen healings. We've seen Jesus healing people, you know, the blind, the lame, the, the people who can't walk, the sick. He's healed people. Not only has he healed people, he's also raised them from the dead. I mean, how many people, you know, in your life history have you seen raised from the dead? You know, these are big, amazing events that are going on. So he's healed people. He's raised people from the dead. He's done amazing things. He's also done miracles where he's fed the multitudes. He's fed bunches of people and all that. And so all this time, Jesus is doing amazing things. And the one thing he's doing, the one central theme, if you will, the whole topic of his message between chapters 1 and chapters 9 is this, is that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Messiah. He's proven that to the world by just, you know, doing miracles throughout the land. He's doing all these things. He's showing the world that he is the Messiah. Then something happened in chapter 9. Something kind of shifted in chapter 9. And we know that by this point that Jesus has declared he is the Messiah. But now in chapter 9, he started saying, yes, I am the Messiah, but I must die at this point. I'm the Messiah, but I must die at this point. And the disciples are not really, they're not really doing too well with this concept. When Jesus proclaims that, they're kind of like, what do you mean by that? They're not really doing too well. In fact, over the last few weeks, Jesus has been teaching his disciples certain lessons within Christianity to kind of raise them up. Because he knows that he's fixing to die, and the disciples are fixing to take over the ministry. And so he's preparing them for what is to come. And we call these, these lessons, we call them blueprints to normal Christianity. That if we were to look at the next few verses within these chapters, that we can actually get some typical blueprints of what it means to be a normal Christian. Like, not a super Christian, like, not like the church lady from Saturday Night Live, not like one of those type of Christians, like just your typical, normal, everyday, you and me, what we need to be doing as followers of Christ, the typical blueprints to normal Christianity. In today's message, we'll see that the disciples, with all these lessons that they're listening to, that they just don't get it right. The, the whole concept is foreign to them, and every time they try to put things into practice, they get it wrong. kind of reminds you of people like you and me. When we try to live for Jesus, and we just screw it up, and we get it wrong. And today's message is no different. Today, we're going to see Jesus laying out another blueprint to normal Christianity. And that blueprint for today, if you're taking notes, the topic for today is this. The mercy of God's purpose extends to all people. That the message for today is that the mercy 
of God's purpose is extending to all people. So with that being said, let's go ahead and turn to God's word and see just what Jesus is going to be teaching us today. Um, Last week I had 31 pages of notes. This week I got 15. I knew we were going to have kids in the service. I said, I'm going to get you guys in and out here real fast so that your parents actually have a reason for living after this. So Mark chapter 10, verse 13. We're actually only going to do like four, ver- four scriptures too, so that's going to be a lot easier for you as well. Mark 10, verse 13. It says, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for two, for, for two such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them into the arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. I think it's pretty cool that we got kids in the service today, and we're talking about children here in the church. Did I plan that? No. That was like, uh, I just kind of laid that way. But last week, we, we, we talked about uh, this really hard topic. If you, don't, if you didn't hear the message last week, it's on the podcast. Um, I was very blessed by people just kind of saying like, hey, uh, I know you were really nervous to talk about this, and it, it, you, know, you did a good job. Thank you so much. It really blessed me. They shared it. Um, it, just, it was a really heavy topic. But last week, we found Jesus inside of a home, explaining to his disciples his view and God's view on divorce and how to put that view of divorce into their life practice. And we talked about it last week. We broke it down. We had went through all so many questions about divorce and just crazy broken marriages and, and the feelings of can I get divorced? What does that mean? And if I get divorced, what is God's grace on that? And what does that mean for me? Does God curse me after that? Am I a sinner and totally separated from God? Or does God love me and accept me even though I have sinned and, and strayed away? And what does that mean for my life? And so that was last week. This week, we find him in the same home. And he's in the house, and wherever he's at, there's these parents of these kids who are bringing their kids over to Jesus because they want Jesus to touch them and bless them. And so they'd be like all of these little pinguinos in the, in the room right now. They'd be all like running around, the parents would be like, let's go see Jesus, right? And as they're coming over here, the disciples have a problem with that. Like the disciples start getting all upset, and they're so upset that they start to rebuke the parents for doing that. They start getting so angry, and and as they're coming over, they're they're like, you can't bring your kid to Jesus. You cannot bring your child to Jesus. Stay away, and they started rebuking the, the parents for bringing the kids over to Jesus. Verse 13 said, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, why would the disciples do such a thing? Why would the disciples do such a thing to rebuke parents for just simply bringing their kids to Jesus? Because in my opinion, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't think you guys do either. There's a really awesome guy here in the room, and you're going to take your kids because he is the Messiah. You've seen him doing some amazing things, and you want your kids to be blessed by the Messiah. There was nothing wrong with that, in my opinion. But the disciples saw something. The disciples had something. There was a problem that the disciples had in their hearts. And, and, and when it comes to the children, it was this, is that children back in the day were considered to be insignificant people to society. Now, kids don't get mad as I say this to you, kids. I promise you, this is going to make you mad a little bit. But they were insignificant to society at the time. They couldn't work. 
As we know that, kids don't do a very good job at work. You say, hey, clean your room. Two hours later, it's still not clean. They don't really do much there. You, know, you, you can't tell a kid, hey, go you know, get on the mule and go plow a field. They don't do that for society at such a young age. Um, they didn't have any money because they don't work. So you don't know of a kid and be like, hey, can I borrow 50 bucks? They don't have any money. So they don't pay taxes. They don't do anything to society. Um, they're not fully educated. You can't go ask a kid for spiritual advice. Most kids might nowadays be able to give it to you. But some kids would be like, what are you talking about? They were insignificant. In fact, the other Gospels, you know, you know, Matthew, John, and Luke use this same scripture, but they use the word infants. They're bringing infants over to, to, to Jesus. And as they're bringing infants to Jesus, that's even worse because the infant really can't even take care of itself. When was the last time you saw an infant wipe its own butt? It's kind of, it, it needs help to do everything. It's insignificant to society. They really serve no real purpose for society. And in fact, kids don't really provide anything to society. Now, as parents, we know that's not true. As parents, you know, the kids are loving. And in fact, there were so many days where I get off of work, had a hard day. If I just find Zachary and hug him, I feel like love soaking into me. Like, I, I feel that. So I know kids are significant to the world. But back in the day, the disciples were kind of like, you know, like not like that. So that's why they were so upset. And they figured these, the, these kids are not of significance, so they do not need to be around the Messiah. The guy who was healing people, the guy who was raising people from the dead, these kids are not significant. They are not important enough to be around Jesus. But Jesus' response is so incredible at this point. His response was this. He says, but when he saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He said, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Of God And truly to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Mark uses the word to describe Jesus' emotions at this moment, the word indignant. Indignant. And he says that Jesus was indignant for his, over his disciples. The word indignant literally means a feeling or showing of anger or annoyance of what is perceived to be an unfair treatment. Something that is making you mad because it is not fair. Kind of like whenever you gather for Christmas and your whole family's around you know, for Christmas and everyone's gathered around the tree. Everyone's exchanging gifts and there's that one relative, that one uncle who's like rich. He's got like a company or something. And you're passing around, like, these cheap little gifts and whatever, all you can afford. And he's like, hey, <laughs> Xbox, you know, like, everyone gets an Xbox, you know. Like, you feel indignant because you're like, that is not fair. Like, how is it that, that everyone gets these big expensive gifts? And then maybe he's like, Xbox, 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 here, here, bro, here's a, uh, here's like a, um, I don't know, like a wallet or something like that. And you're like, what's, that's not fair. They got Xboxes, you know. Like, they got really cool, like, they got iPads. Why don't I get something like that? That's indignant. My grandma, God bless her soul, I loved her. But every year on Christmas, she would give all these great little toys to, like, my cousins. And I would see my cousins, like, back in the day, we didn't have, like, you know, like, iPads and stuff. And those kind of freaking some of your kids out right now. We didn't have that. You know what we had? The little monitos and stuff. Like, we would play with little toys or action figures. Or we had the little electronic games that were just black, you know, and you would, like, you know, with two little buttons, trying to get the ball in the hoop or whatever. The water games, remember the water games that you would pump the water? 
That's all they had. But to me, that was cool. Or army man. I, mean, I can do crazy things with little army man, you know. But my grandma would give away all these cool toys to all my cousins, right? And then she would be like, ay, mijo, I got you this. And it was always the same thing for like six years in a row. It was a pair of paños. Just a pair of paños. Just a bandanas, handkerchiefs, if you will. Paños. I know you need this, mijo. I'm like, you know, like, like, why? You know, and so every year I would see my cousin like, woo! You know, they open up this cool toy. And she's like, here, mijo. Paños. And this went on until I was about like 15 or 16. I swear. Was it fair? No, it was not fair. Did I ever complain? No, because she's my grandma and I loved her. Um, but I was indignant over the fact that my cousins were getting nicer toys and things for me. Being indignant is getting angry over something that is not fair. I was indignant when I heard about Chattanooga this week. It's very indignant. It's very angry about the fact that, that someone would, you know, attack innocent Marines, taking the lives of four Marines, injuring police officers who were there to keep the peace. I was indignant over that fact. I get indignant over, you know, shootings like at Sandy Hook. I think you guys get indignant too. That makes you mad, right? If it doesn't make you mad, you need to check your pulse. We get indignant when we think about Fort Hood. We get indignant when we think about 9-11. Why? Because it is not fair. And that same feeling that we get, that same feeling that we get is the same feeling Jesus got. Whenever we see something unfair happen in the world and we get angry, is the same feeling Jesus was having against his disciples. He was indignant over the fact that they were not allowing the children to come around him. See, the disciples are suffering from the same thing that many of us are suffering from and may not even know it. The disciples are suffering from the same thing. They've fallen into the mistake of thinking that our intellectual sophistication or our physical abilities or our social popularity or anything other that the world uses to say one is accepted or not is the same thing that Jesus uses to say you're accepted in my kingdom or not. They think that no matter how nice you are, no matter how good you are, no matter what you are, that that determines whether or not you are accepted into Jesus' kingdom. And many of us are thinking the same way. We're guilty of the same thing. For example, there's a stereotype that we might have where we tend to categorize people in different people groups. And we do it subconsciously. We do it subconsciously. In fact, I did it yesterday. We were driving through King's Crossing. We went to someone's house yesterday in King's Crossing, and I had this thought in my mind. It was this thought right here, that when we see people who, or maybe you're from the south side, you're from the nicer part of town, and everything looks nice, and you say, man, that person has it together. I mean, look at this big, beautiful house. They have to have it together. Or you say, man, this person must be a really good person, because look at what all God has blessed them with, a house, a pool, great things. And some people are really good people with those things. Or like, obviously, obviously, look, by the, way, by the way they look, they must be great people in, in life. They must be Christians, because look how, look how blessed and awesome they are. You know, and we see people, and we do this to ourselves, and you do it subconsciously. You look at someone, you judge them as a good person just because they dress well. Or you do the opposite, where you look at someone who doesn't dress well, and you say, that person's a bad person. 
Kids, don't stand too close to that guy at McDonald's. Kids, don't, don't, you know, move a seat over from the, you know, in the movie theater from that, from that guy with the tattoos and the, and, the, and the piercings and stuff like that. Move away from that person. Or we say stuff like, man, look at that person. They're, you know, they're obviously not living right. They must not be right with Jesus. Or there's, they're perceiving them because of the way they look on the outside. Or maybe they don't have a job, or maybe they don't have a car, or maybe they don't have all the, the things that, that normally people should have by their, by their time. And you think, man, that person must not be doing something right. And we see that, and we start profiling people. We start subcategorizing people in different people groups, and the Bible says that when we start doing things like that, it makes Jesus angry. And he gets annoyed by us. He gets frustrated over us. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, if you're taking notes, I think Jesus is indignant of our actions because he knows that, number one, God created everyone in his image. Jesus gets indignant when we start profiling people because he knows that he has made everyone in his image. See, back in Genesis, when God was creating man and woman, he was creating everyone in his own image. We, we, we see this in Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we know God is the creator of life. He is the sustainer of life. And he created man and woman in the image of himself. And in the image of everyone else who is God, Jesus, and the Spirit. And we know from other scriptures, like in John chapter 1, where it starts talking about, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that, that God is God, and we know that Jesus is God, and we know that the Holy Spirit is God. That's called the Trinity. Any type of Trinitarian, you know, you know believing system will teach you that, that God is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So if Jesus is God, and God created man in his image, then it makes absolutely no sense why he would not accept his own creation. It makes no sense why Jesus would not accept his own creation. No matter what their social significance is, there are parents here today that I know love their creations. Amen? I mean, just look at them. Look at them. They're all over the room. You know, we love our creations. We love them because they came from our wound. We love them no matter what they do, no matter how angry they might get at us because we don't let them do something, no matter how, how, how much they disobey us, no matter how many times they discharge a fire extinguisher in the middle of Walmart and totally blow up the whole young men's section and they come out running to you covered like the Pillsbury Doughboy, all white. Like, seriously, my boys did that. But I still love them. You better believe I defended them for it. I didn't care. You could, uh, there were some people that were like, hey, dude, your kid, hey, back off my kid, bro. That's mine. You see, we love them because they're our creation. And just because they are our creation, because they care for us, they naturally have a natural, automatic respect and acceptance by us. Why? Because they're our creation. Because we made them. They were growing inside of us. They came from the man. They grew up in the woman. They are a part of our bodies. We created them. We naturally have a respect and acceptance of them. That's what we do because we're parents and we love them no matter what they do for us. We have a natural respect for them. Every human being who is made in the image of God therefore has an innate dignity and thus are not to be undervalued by anyone. Let me rephrase that. 
Everyone who is made in the image of God is always going to have the respect and acceptance of God and therefore should not be undervalued by anyone else because we're all in the image of God. When you look at the person you make fun of, that person is in the image of God. When you look at the person that you, that you might talk crap about, that person is in the image of God. When you look at the person that you utterly hate, who screwed you over so bad, that person is made in the image of God. They might not act like the image of God, but they're made in the image of God. So in doing so, our acts of profiling and rejecting makes Jesus feel mad and annoyed because, in essence, we are rejecting his creation. That's why I always say be careful who you talk about because that is a child of God. Now, they might not be acting like a child of God at the time, but that is still a child of God. The second thing we know is this, that, that God, and, I mean, that Jesus gets just totally irate and annoyed by, the, by us when we start doing this. And we start profiling people because God knows that we're all fallen people. Number two, God knows that we're all fallen people. All of us are fallen people. The crazy fact of life is that no matter how nice your car is, no matter how beautiful your home is, no matter how physically fit you are, how socially accepted you are in the world, in your school, in your workplace, no matter how popular you are, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. No matter how awesome you think you are, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that every single one of us here, including myself, has fallen short of the glory of God at some point in our life. That we were born this way, with this sinful nature. That we were born with this heart that just urges to long for following itself versus following God's way. And we have all done this. And if you think you haven't done it, now you're struggling with pride, and that's a sin too. So you're in the same boat. So knowing that we are all sinners and that we have all fallen short of the glory of God, we can look at each other now equally. Because every one of us has something bad to say about the other person. Because we're all equally messed up. Welcome to Impact City Church, where we're all equally messed up and all equally loved by the grace of God. I love that. We're all sinners in the God's grace. Now, I know a couple of churches and pastors who will tell you that just because uh, you've given your life to Jesus, you no longer sin. They say, well, you've accepted Jesus, you've said a prayer, you're no longer sinning now. The problem with that is that you probably sinned on your way to church. So, listen, the Apostle Paul sinned constantly. He had this, this struggle in his heart. Uh, the disciple Peter sinned when he rejected Jesus three times. He struggled when he, to live in community. He struggled to live in community with, with the Apostle Paul. There were two different ministries being pulled apart. He struggled with that sin of going back to his Jewish roots. There was sin among these great men of God. And if they can struggle with sin, we still struggle with sin. But did that lead God not to do anything great in their lives? No. If we're living, we're all living a life that is constantly in need of God's forgiveness and grace in order to redeem us constantly. His blood was sufficient to cover all of our sins continually in our life. Now, the goal of a Christian is to eventually be without sin one day, is to work towards that, that essence where we do not sin. 
I heard this great thing this morning. My wife was telling me about this. She's so awesome. But we were going over this thing, and she said, I was listening to this guy who was talking, and he was saying that before, he was, the advice he was given to one of his church members, that before you sin, you should just, like, worship God and give him thanks for the sin that you're about to do, for dying for the sin that you're about to do. Like, thank you, God. Thank you for dying for what I'm about to do to free me for the sin I'm about to commit. And they said that the, 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 the church member said, well, pastor, if I do that, I probably won't want to sin. He goes, Exactly. And so we all constantly need to be praising God and giving thanks for, for dying on the cross for us. So this is the one struggle that the disciples had. The struggle that they start profiling people. And they start, they start you know, picking and choosing. If you remember a couple of weeks back, there was a, a, a man who was trying to cast out a demon in chapter 9. And he was trying to cast out this demon when the disciples said, Hey, he's not one of our people. And they actually tried to stop him, and they got mad, and they rebuked that guy too. They rebuked him and said, you're not one of us. You're not, you're not following Jesus. You can't be doing this. And what did Jesus say? He said, hey, this guy is doing it in my name. Let him do it. He's a believer. Let him do it. He's got the power. So they struggle with this profiling thing, and we do it too. So if we know that Jesus loves and accepts everyone because we're all sinners, and because we're all his creation and in need of his grace, then how should we put that into everyday practice? How should we put that, that, that knowledge into everyday practice? Oh, it's simple. Read verse 16. Verse 16 says, And he took them into his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus accepted and blessed others, and so should we, no matter how accepted or not they are by the world. That no matter who you are, no matter how much wrong you have done to me or to someone else, personally, whatever, we are not called to wage war against people and separate and do this crazy. We are called to love and bless those people. That means if we are rich, if we are poor, if we are black, if we are white, this is not a Michael Jackson song, if we are across the social palette, across the religious palette, across the lifestyle palette, we are called to love everyone, even the people who annoy the crap out of you. We are called to love people and bless them like Jesus did. Jesus put his hand on the children. That was something that they weren't supposed to do back in the day because the children were considered to be unacceptable socially, so that was an act of, like, defiling yourself by touching something that was not socially accepted in the day. And Jesus put his hand on them and blessed them. I wonder if that would be the same thing as us reaching out, hugging someone who is homeless who hasn't bathed in a few weeks. I wonder if that would be the same as us reaching out and just giving a hug to someone who might struggle with same-sex attraction. I wonder if that would be the same as us, you know, buying food for a family who who maybe they're struggling with, you know, just financial problems and stuff. What would that look like? To love and accept people where they're at, the way Jesus did, no matter what their social uh, stance was. But I want you to know something. This is probably the most important thing here. In these four verses that we just looked at, we learned that, that we're all sinners and we're all created equally, that we all need God's grace, yes, and we learn that Jesus will bless and love those who are not socially accepted in the world, but he will love and bless those people as well. But the one thing we know is, is that in those four verses, the kingdom of God is mentioned two times by Jesus. Why did he do that? Why did he talk about entering into a forever relationship with people, with him? 
Why did he talk to the people and say that the kingdom of God is, this is a way, but through childlike faith you will enter the kingdom of God, that these children are those who belong to the kingdom of God as well. Why did he mention the kingdom of God so many times in just those four scriptures? It's because when we show love and acceptance of others, we must first and foremost do so by showing them what the kingdom of God looks like. And the only way we can do that is to share the gospel with everyone. To share the gospel with everyone. So no matter what your beliefs may be towards someone, no matter what your feelings might be towards someone, no matter how angry you might be towards someone, no matter how upset you might be towards someone, or no matter how just disconnected you might be to someone, your responsibility as a child of God is to first and foremost share the kingdom of God with them, which is the gospel. That is our responsibility as Christians. That is what normal Christianity looks like. And you might say, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. I don't know how to share the gospel. I've never shared the gospel, Pastor. That kind of freaks me out. I'm not really good at doing that. But I'm happy to say that this upcoming semester, when we start our missional city groups on August 5th, that we're going to be looking at all of that. That when we come and gather our, at our home, or we come and gather at someone else's apartment or someone else's home, that we're going to be going over how to share the gospel with friends and family. We're going to be going over how to pray for others in our community. We're going to be going over how to reach our community with the gospel. We're going to be going over how to love our neighbors. So I really want you guys to make a, 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 a really big push to be there in the next couple of weeks. But first of all, share the gospel. Above all else, share the gospel. Jesus wants us to share the gospel with our spouse with our children, with our family, with our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, with the waiter at the restaurant, with our doctor at the doctor's department, with the nurses at the doctor's department, with everyone around you, share the gospel. And let us not allow our feelings of higher privilege prevent us from being blessings to other people who may not feel that way. May we not allow our pride to get in the way of our responsibilities of sharing the gospel with others telling them about the kingdom of God and loving and accepting everyone. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, we love you so much and we thank you for all that you have given us. God, we know that, that at these times in this day and age in this world that it's so hard to live for you. God, we love you, Lord, and we praise you so much for all that you have given us. God, we thank you for just family. We thank you for friends. We thank you for community. We pray that you would allow us to just to, to love them and to accept them in their walk in life. To give us opportunities to share the gospel with them, Lord. Lord, thank you for all that you have done for us. Forgive us for our sins. It's in Christ's name we humbly pray. All of God's people said, Amen.